Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doin' Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with David Glantz from the Refugee Action Collective and we're going to be speaking with him about an incident that happened last year at a protest or incidents, I should say. 30 refugee supporters were fined on the 10th of April 2020 for taking part in a COVID-safe car rally to the Mantra Hotel in Preston, which housed some 60 Medivac refugees. And during that time, there were fines issued to the protesters totalling almost $50,000 and are being challenged in court. And as David will talk about later, and I want to clarify with him, I believe that the court case is on the 13th of July and there will be a protest outside the court showing solidarity. But basically what David and I are going to be talking about this evening is the fact that showing compassion for refugees is not a crime and not a health crisis. It is locking up refugees that is the real crime here. And so we're going to be talking about that and the um, the, solida- the solidarity rally and a little bit about the, the court challenge as well. Then after that, we're going to be speaking with Monique, Monique Hurley, who is the legal director at the Human Rights Law Centre, And she's going to be speaking about an IBAC report, which is highlighting some serious systemic wrongdoing exposed in Victorian prisons. And of course, I'm going to be reading out some more donations in regards to Radiothon. We've just about met our target, but I'll be talking about that later. A special thank you to everybody that donated. Hello, David. Welcome to the program. Hello, Marissa. It is lovely to have you. Thank you so much for having me on again and for taking this issue so seriously after such a long time. It's really appreciated. Yeah, actually, we had you here last year in the midst of of, of the dark lockdown last year. <laughs> yeah. Well, our focus in terms of justice was defending Refugee Action Collective member and activist Chris Breen, who was charged with incitement. Now, we've uh, we've seen like that. Uh, Chris won was his case uh, on the 29th of March this year. Uh, the case against him was dismissed and we ran a really vigorous solidarity campaign with, with protests and sign-ons and all sorts of things. But as you say, 
our focus now has shifted around to the 30 refugee supporters who were fined $50,000 between them for taking part in the event that Chris allegedly incited, which was a COVID-safe protest outside the Mantra Hotel in Preston, where there were about 60 Medipac refugees locked up. And yeah. it was COVID-safe because everybody was in their car. Um, actually, we, we, meaning Refugee Action Collective, took COVID safety uh, more seriously than the state government did because at that point, uh, back in uh, Easter last year, you could go to Bunnings and wander around and do some shopping. And we said, well, we're not going to Bunnings. We're going to go show solidarity with the refugees, but we'll do it in a completely COVID-safe way. And that wasn't good enough. The, the uh, Andrews government has been, amongst all the state and territory governments, the most draconian, the most willing to reach for the big stick to, uh, to keep people in line during the COVID era. And the police essentially lined up and, and ambushed and took the names of every single person who took part in the, in the, in the car convoy. And we think that's absolutely disgraceful, that it's not a crime to show solidarity with refugees, especially in a COVID-safe way. As you say, there will be a protest, a solidarity protest, on Tuesday, July the 13th. So that's in about a week and a half, or two weeks' time. And uh, that will be outside the Heidelberg Magistrates' Court, um, uh, just uh, round the back of Banksia Street, at 9 o'clock in the morning. So it's a Tuesday morning. We'll be there from 9 till 10, to show solidarity with the people who are contesting their fines. A couple of people decided just to pay. They didn't want the, the whole business hanging over their head. But the vast majority of people who were fined are contesting the fines and will be arguing they were showing care and compassion and that uh, they, were, they were wrongly fined. Interestingly, David... Just to set the scene, in the midst of the pandemic last year, there were also a series of of law uh, panels that were organised by the the legal activist. Goodness gracious, it's gone out of my head. The the legal activist community last year. Mel, the Mel, they're Mel's. That's it. Goodness yeah. gracious. Um, yeah. So so basically, there are a series of panels, and it, it really detailed a lot of the what was happening with the state emergency. And I believe the state emergency um, of the Andrews government is still in progress now to address some of those some of those health um, issues. But basically, David, it's all about, this is all about the fact that people's civil liberties are being eroded. We, we're not saying, are we, that the coronavirus isn't serious. It is serious and we do need to follow the public health regulations. Just to refresh the memories of listeners and set the scene, can you just describe how that protest was organised last year and some of the safety measures that were put in place? Well, first up, I can only uh, agree with you um, wholeheartedly that COVID is very serious. It's very dangerous and no-one should play games with, getting, uh, with, uh, with risking getting it. I personally know three people who have died from COVID, not all in Australia, um, so I can certainly vouch for the fact that good people have been taken before before their time. So when we set about organising this protest, it was precisely because the refugees themselves were absolutely petrified that they would get COVID. So far from being 
you know, uh, offhand about COVID. We were taking action uh, because the refugees were at risk of COVID. Now, now um, a number of them, about 33, are still locked up in the Park Hotel in Carlton. But back in April last year, there were about 60 Medivac refugees. So refugees who've been brought here either from Papua New Guinea or from Nauru for medical treatment, which doctors said they couldn't get uh, in detention on, uh, out, outside Australia. And they were brought here and they were basically dumped in hotels, locked up, not given their treatment to this day. And we're talking now over a year later. Many of those refugees still haven't had their treatment, but they were locked up on one floor of the Mantra Hotel in Preston, just on Bell Street, with um, a, a, alongside a sort of revolving door of Serco guards, so casual, casualised guards coming in and out on their shifts the whole time. And we know, when we think back to the darkest days of the pandemic last year, not finished yet, but they were the darkest days so far, that it was casualised workers who were working across multiple sites who were most at risk of getting COVID and then passing it on to other and sometimes more vulnerable people. And so the refugees were saying, we are surrounded by circo guards. We don't have PPE. At the beginning, they didn't even have soap. They, well, they don't have PPE. The circo guards come in and out of the building on their shifts. They don't keep their distance. Um, the refugees were already at greater medical and psychological risk than the average person because of their experiences locked up by the Australian government and their experiences that came before that when they were persecuted in their home country. And they said, we are at risk. We need to get out. And so one of the reasons we set out to drive around the Manta Hotel was to show them that they weren't forgotten. That's care and compassion. But we also wanted to draw attention to the fact that these people desperately needed to be in the community for lots of reasons. But one of those reasons was it was going to be much safer to be in a house in a street without security guards coming in and out of the bedroom in the middle of the night than it would be locked up in the hotel. So we organised on Zoom, because obviously by that stage everything was on Zoom. We organised for people to uh, rendezvous uh, in their cars, one person in the car or two if they're in the same household, and then to set off in a convoy with signs on the cars, slogans on the windows and all that kind of thing. And the police were just round the corner from Bell Street and it was like um, a breath-testing operation. They stopped every vehicle coming through, they took everybody's details, they issued the fines, and what should have been a very safe event actually became more dangerous because the police were sticking their faces in through the car windows and breathing on the people in inside the cars. And, and for this indignity, people who were only trying to show solidarity were fined $1,652 each from, from, from memory. Really draconian fines. Remember, those fines were dished out to a lot of vulnerable people. I'm sure the panels you talked about will, will, have, told, will have told you it was actually homeless people, it was Indigenous people, it was vulnerable people who were most likely to get those fines. And most of those people haven't paid those fines to this day, largely probably because they can't. In the case of the refugee supporters, they haven't paid because they're saying that the fines were fundamentally wrong and should be rejected by a magistrate.
It was perfectly safe, David. It, you know, the, the cars, everybody was in the car. It was people from the households. And and just as a as a quick correction on air, David, I'll just, um, for listeners, it's MELS, Melbourne Activist Legal Support. And there was a presentation last year at around the time that the protest happened on the 10th of April, a series of online events as a belated part of Law Week entitled Protest, Repression and the Law. And the Do and Time show did some extensive coverage of those panel discussions. And Chris Breen was actually a speaker there. And in the meantime, I also interviewed you, David, around that time as well, around um, the time that Chris had, had the court cases. You did indeed, yes. Yeah. So can you talk about the upcoming um, protest that's happening outside the court in Heidelberg on the 13th of July? Who are the speakers? Okay, well, we've got two two speakers so far, but I'm sure we'll have some more on the day. The two so far are Dr Tim Reid. He's the Greens MP for Brunswick in the State Parliament. He's the Greens spokesperson for Justice. And he's been absolutely staunch on this issue uh, turned up regularly to support Chris Breen when he was facing court and will be there again at Heidelberg on the 13th of July. And we also have Councillor Angelica Panopoulos. She's a councillor with Moreland, uh, which is Brunswick up to Faulkner, that, that, that area. Um, and she's also a member of the Greens, and she has been a long-term activist with the Refugee uh, Action Collective. And I'm sure we'll, we'll have some others um, uh, 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 on the day. And, and it's really important that the protest takes place because we're sending a message to two groups of people. One is to the people facing the fines themselves because, as listeners know, it, especially if you're not used to the system, fronting it in court and with all the you know, uh, procedures and formalities and so on is quite an intimidating process whether you're facing a fine or something even more serious. So we want to make sure that everybody who turns up on that day to contest their fine knows they're not on their own, that there is a movement, there is a campaign behind them. But we also want to send a message to the court, and we know when Chris Breen was facing the Melbourne Magistrates' Court um, and finally won, we know that the magistrates knew that the protests were taking place. The court cases were online, but she had to walk into the magistrate's court to go to her office to participate. And she commented online in public a number of times about the um, particularly large number of people who were following the court case, watching the court case. And now, because she referred to it, that one morning she walked in straight past that process and was very aware that there were people, and not just people, activists, Union members, we had union banners, we had refugee supporters, all people, but people carrying, you know, um, representing organisations and therefore representing many more people than just themselves. She was aware of that, and we want the magistrate, whoever that is, Kilberg on the 13th, to be aware that the people turning up to contest their fines, it's not just that they don't want to pay the money, and of course they don't want to pay the money, um, is that they actually there is a political point here being made and there are people backing them up. So 9 o'clock outside Heidelberg Magistrates Court on Tuesday, July the 13th, it would be fantastic. So two weeks tomorrow, it would be fantastic to see as many people there as possible. If you want to see some more information, 
Refugee Action Collective on Facebook. Um, there's always plenty, plenty to find there. And just a, a final comment here, David, that the police response was actually in very high proportion to what was happening. It's not as if people weren't wearing masks, although I don't think masks were mandatory back at that time in 2020 when, when the protest took place. But what I'm saying is it's not as if people were spitting on, on each other or, <laughs> you know, congregating in thousands of people and no social distancing. It It's, it's highly inappropriate um, given that no one was actually contravening the public health response. No, it was entirely safe. It was safer than going shopping. And people were allowed to go shopping, whether it was supermarket shopping or back in April last year, you were still allowed to go to you know the Bunnings and Big W or whatever, you know, the bigger stores as well, without a yeah. mask. It yeah. was very, it was very safe. But all the way through, really, this entire pandemic, what we've seen is the state government has prioritised uh, activities that make money and has come down hard on protests. The Refugee Action Collective has had further protests where we've gathered in in a very COVID-safe way, lots of social distancing, masks, sanitizer, and so on, on the state library lawns, and we've been... We had the cops come down on us pretty hard and put us under a lot of pressure. But literally across the road, there are thousands. Of, there were thousands of people shopping inside Northern Central. And good on them. I'm not saying the shoppers that were doing anything wrong, but people protesting have at every point from the beginning of this pandemic been treated quite differently from people engaged in other activities. Even though the protests, apart from the anti-vaxxers who, you know as you say, the spitting and the no mask wearing, but everybody else, the Black Lives Matter protests, the Invasion Day protests, the refugee protests, the union protests that have taken place, have all been covered safe and have all had to deal with a lot of police pressure. And I think that tells you something that, unfortunately, while the government likes to think about itself as the most progressive government in the country, that it is prioritising profit-making over the right safely dissent. We, we won't stand for that. Refugee Action Collective stayed on the streets in a COVID-safe way all the way through the pandemic, and we're proud that we've always stood up with the refugees in a COVID-safe way, whatever the difficulties. On that note, can I just give a plug to a couple of activities that are coming up? Of course. Of yeah, on Monday, July the 19th, so that's uh, three weeks today, if, if my calculations are right, um, it is the eighth anniversary of the federal government, first Labour and then the Liberals, saying that if people came by boat, they would never be settled in this country, which led to the horrors of long-term offshore detention and now the horrors of long-term uh, detention in hotels around the country. So we're saying eight years too long, free the refugees, and we'll be holding a vigil with poets, and singers and musicians and speeches outside the Park Hotel prison on Monday, July the 19th, 5.30. And the Park Hotel prison is at 701 Swanson Street in Carlton. So on the tram, tram tracks, the gathering in Lincoln Square. And then a week later, on Sunday, July the 25th, 
there's a, a rally which was originally going to be held on World Refugee Day, but the latest lockdown got in the way of that. And it's for permanent visas, not discrimination. And that's a rally that Refugee Action Collective has been very proud to organise alongside a whole series of refugee organisations from the Hazara community, the Iranian community and others. And we'll, there's a protest that will be led by refugee communities pointing out that it's not just the Medivac refugees who are suffering, but there are 30,000 refugees in this country on bridging visas living from visa to visa, no certainty, no security. They can't go to, to university unless they pay full fees. Um, they don't know whether they're still going to be in the country from one, one year to the next. So that's a really important rally. Sunday, July the 25th at the library at 2 o'clock. And what date was that? Sorry, July? Sunday, July the 25th. The 25th. And of course... Go on, 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock, is that right? Yep. Sunday, July the 25th at 2 o'clock. Yep, and people can find all the details. Go to Refugee Action Collective Victoria uh, on Facebook and you'll find all the events with lists of speakers and also COVID, COVID safe instructions. And, of course, we need to close the camps and funnel all that money that's been put into offshore detention into those concentration camps, take it out and put it into programs here in Australia and let them stay? I mean, the, the government, you know, it's got, you know, it doesn't have enough money to put up job seeker uh, to, to a living level. It doesn't have money for public housing, but it's got money to lock up mum, dad and two little girls on Christmas Island. And that's just the tip of the iceberg what happened to the Bill Wheeler family, the millions of dollars spent locking them up and demonising them, they spent, they spent billions on treating innocent people like criminals. Uh, and criminals have rights, but under this government, refugees don't. Absolutely. David, you've been a tremendous help today in, in educating listeners about um, looking at the fact that in Victoria last year, and even now, there is tension between the right to protest and the power of the state, particularly during an emergency. And that's being brought to the fore today. And of course, we need to, and this is a, a topic for another show, we need to also draw upon the the human rights, char- the Charter of Human Rights in Victoria. Absolutely. It's... Uh... We need human rights and we need to defend them and the best way to defend them is to go out onto the streets and exercise them. Indeed. David, thank you so much for coming onto the program. It's been lovely to have you. My, my pleasure. Thank you again, Marissa, for your, your really staunch support. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And that was David Glance from the Refugee Action Collective. So if people want to... Check out some of those events on Facebook and turn up to the court on the 13th of July, Heidelberg Magistrates Court, and support the protesters uh, who, were, who were fined quite excessively um, for, for a protest, for protesting. More than 70 innocent refugees are still being indefinitely detained in detention centres and secure hotels around Australia. Over recent months, many fellow detainees have been released onto bridging visas. Those remaining are desperate to know why they are still held. It is indefinite, 
it is cruel and it is unlawful. Every day a group of supporters protest this brutality outside the Park Hotel at 701 Swanson Street, Melbourne, where 11 men remain trapped and whose hopes are fading and whose mental health is declining. The aim of the protests is to raise awareness of the situation for the general public, but also to show support and solidarity to the men inside. It is also for the approximately 200 refugees still held offshore. Please come along any weeknight at 6pm or weekend at 3pm. And I believe that announcement was actually brought to you by the speaker of that announcement was the beautiful Anne who does a Celtic show at 3 o'clock on Tuesdays. And it's approximately 4.24. We've got about six minutes until our second interview. And I just wanted to read out quickly some of the donations. So for Radiothon, for the Do and Time show, Margaret, $50. Thank you very much. And Gab, $15. Thanks a lot. Loretta, $30. Thank you very much. And Vivian, $75. Thanks, thanks so much to all of you. And so the target is $850. We are now up to $715. So thanks a lot. And the remainder, we have $135 left to raise. And I'm hoping we can still do that. It's not too late to donate. Hi, I'm Kutcher Edwards. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates in Victorian prisons. We started in 2002 and this year marks 20 years on the air. Be sure to tune in at 11am each morning from Monday July the 5th to Friday July the 9th for Beyond the Bars 2021 broadcast. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Thoughts within, visions I see, daring to dream, my destiny. And next up on the show, presently, we will be speaking with Monique Hurley, who is the legal director at the Human Rights Law Centre. Serious systemic wrongdoing is exposed in Victorian prisons by the IBAC report. And the Human Rights Law Centre has put out a media release and... They say that the Andrews government must take urgent steps to prevent mistreatment and reduce the number of people being funnelled into prisons. And this is after a new report, and this, this comes after a new report uncovered serious and systemic wrongdoing in Victoria's private and public prisons. The special report on corrections tabled in the Victorian Parliament by the Independent Broad-Based Anti-Corruption Commission, IBAC, made a number of alarming findings, including that prison officers at Port Phillip Prison used excessive force against two people in prison, one of whom has an intellectual disability. There is a culture of excessive use of force among specialist officers. Prison officers at Port Phillip Prison used inappropriate strip-searching practices during two critical incidents at Port Phillip Prison. 
Prison officers failed to activate their body-worn cameras and intentionally interfered with camera recordings. And there were many, many other issues. And on the line, we will be having Monique Hurley speaking to us about this shortly. Online and nationwide, right across Australia from the 1st to the 31st of July and at Cinema Nova from the 21st to the 31st of July, Melbourne Documentary Film Festival's Documentary Month showcases the best local and international documentaries. Check out the incredible lineup at mdff.org.au, cinemanova.com.au and watch.eventive.org forward slash mdff. And book your tickets and streams today. Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. And in case you've just tuned in, this is the Doin' Time Show, 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial and it's approximately 428 and we have the great honour now of having Monique Hurley from the Human Rights Law Centre speaking to us about a very, very important topic in regards to wrongdoings that's been exposed through the IBAC report. Hello, Monique. Welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to have you. Now, would you be able to just first of all clarify your title um, on air for listeners, please? Sure. So I'm an Associate Legal Director at the Human Rights Law Centre. Thank you so much for that. So, Monique, did you want to just start off by talking to us about some of the findings that have emerged from the IBAC report? It really is most damning, isn't it? Yes. Well, the report paints a really shocking picture of what goes on in Victorian prisons and how human rights are so easily disregarded behind closed doors. And so the report by the Independent Board-Based Anti-Corruption Commission, which people refer to often as IBAC, um, was tabled in the Victorian Parliament last week and it made a number of really alarming findings regarding corruption risks in Victoria's private and public prisons. Um, Concerningly, there were several findings centred on events at Port Phillip Prison, which is a maximum security private prison run by G4S, And there were findings that prison officers used excessive force and assaulted two people in prison, one of who has an intellectual disability, that prison officers used inappropriate strip-searching techniques um, and um, strip-searched two people in a way that was inconsistent with their human rights and particularly the right of those deprived of liberty to be treated with humanity um, and respect for their human dignity. And during two critical incidents, um, the report also found that prison officers failed to activate their body-worn cameras and intentionally interfered with body-worn camera recordings, which is really, um, really distressing to hear given that the justification for body-worn cameras is often about um, increased transparency. Indeed. And it's really interesting, in having a look at the report, Monique, it appears that there's there's been quite a lot of conflict of interest um, exposed and those cameras were not used, were they, appropriately to expose those corruptions by staff? Yes, so there were um, findings that um, prison guards probably intentionally failed to operate their body-worn cameras to avoid capturing evidence and that they intentionally interfered with audio 
um, and video recordings of their body-worn camera footage in an attempt to mislead potential viewers, people who might view the footage down the track, um, which is really alarming when we're talking about people who are really, they owe a duty of care to, who are in prisons behind closed doors. And, yeah, this is just shining... This report is really shining a light on a few... on a handful of incidents, um, and it's it's likely that that incidents like this happen a lot more frequently than this behind bars. Absolutely. And the reason why I mention this, Monique, in terms of highlighting this, is that in terms of um, the conflicts of interest, it's unique to the corrections context, such as the conflict that arises when corrections staff develop a friendship or intimate relationship with a prisoner or a prisoner's family members, friends or associates. Can you elaborate on that? Because honestly, is this really for real? Um, it is for real. And I think that this issue comes up um, with uh, the IBAC report talked about this a bit in relation to um, uh, people who work in prison smuggling contraband into into the prison environment um, and taking payments for that. And I think that it's really it's really shocking that, that, that this is happening and that this yeah. is being documented because people in prison, we know, are being subjected to routine strip searches, um, which is a really harmful and often unnecessary practice. Um, and the reason, the justification for strip searching people in prison on such a regular basis is often that um, prison authorities think that it's a tool that they need in order to find items of contraband and to stop items of contraband um, being brought into prisons through contact visits and different um, different events like that. And actually, this this report shows that um, prison staff have, have a case to answer when it comes to um, taking contraband into prison and that the justification for routine strip searching isn't you know, it doesn't need to be happening nearly as frequently as it is in prison. And how transparent are the findings in regards to inappropriate strip searches? Does it actually talk about women in the report? Because I imagine well, no, women have also been traumatised and some of them might have even have been sexually abused. Yes. So this report focuses mainly on events in the in the men's prison and the um, Port Phillip prison in particular with sure. the allegations of excessive use of force. But we do know that women um, in the Dane Phillips Frost Centre, for example, are strip searched and that um, overwhelmingly women um, who are in the prison system are survivors of family violence, of trauma, um, and come from backgrounds of abuse. And so um, subjecting women to strip searches in circumstances where they're not necessary is a really cruel and degrading and harmful practice that can compound trauma really unnecessarily. And a lot of these allegations were not substantiated, is that correct? So the report talks about um, a number of allegations that have been made and the ones that I referred to were substantiated um, in relation to the excessive use of force, inappropriate strip searching and um, tampering with body-worn camera footage. Thank you for letting us know that. It's, It's... I don't know. It's it's a report that, how do I say, it looks like it's in detail and yet 
this there appears to be so many flaws um, in in regards to information. Yes, well, we think that the recommendations made by the report don't go nearly far enough in terms of trying to address what what is really causing a lot of these problems, which is um, overcrowding in prisons and the government funneling too many people um, into these environments, which is exacerbating um, the risk of prison officers acting in a corrupt way. Do you have time just to summarise those recommendations, Monique? The recommendations made by the IBAC report focused on, um, you know, improved training and policy development in relation to the issues that um, that they identified as being of concern. But we really think that there needs to be um, border reform and that the Andrews government should be taking urgent steps to reduce the number of people um, being funnelled into Victorian prisons. The prison population has skyrocketed in recent years and instead of building more prisons, um, the Andrews government should be reducing the number of people going into those environments and we think that fixing Victoria's broken bail laws, which are resulting in more and more people being driven into prisons on remand, would be a good first step in that direction. Indeed, and in, in, although the Bail Act was meant to target violent offenders, it's actually affecting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, isn't it? That's right. Um, the, the 2018 bail reforms um, enacted by the Andrews government were intended to target um, men who commit violent offending, but in practice they have impacted women experiencing poverty and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women the most and so that's why we think that it's really important that we fix, that the Andrews government fixes those broken bail laws as a matter of priority and invest in supports and services that help divert people away from the criminal legal system. And would that bail, that, would the broken bail system also refer to the to young people and children? Are that Aboriginal? Yes, yes. So young people, um, children in Victoria are subject to what are called reverse onus provisions, which basically flip the presumption um, of bail in certain cases. So it makes it harder for people to to be eligible to get out um, on bail and makes it can make time behind bars the default setting. And so that applies to children in Victoria. Um, Victoria has some of the harshest um, bail laws in the country. And it's really, yeah, it's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander activists, community legal centres, human rights and legal organisations have been calling on the Andrews government to, to address the bail laws for some time now and it's long overdue for them to act on that. Absolutely. And so can you just comment briefly on why the Human Rights Law Centre is saying that the recommendations don't go far enough? The recommendations um, don't go far enough because while training and um, better policy development is, is a good thing, the fundamental issue from our point of view is that too many people are going into prisons and then the Victorian government is spending money on building more prisons rather than addressing the underlying um, issue, which is um, that the bail laws are really putting people in prison in circumstances where they haven't yet been found guilty of the offending that they have been um, arrested for. 
and that is, you know, we imagine that innocent until proven guilty holds true for our legal system, but so often at the moment that's not the case. And so if we don't deal with those real underlying issues that are causing so many people to be locked up in prison, it's hard to see how we will be able to make sure that people in prison are treated, are protected against mistreatment. Absolutely. And finally, just to really just another have another quick look about the conflict of interest, which I, I'm sorry, I was just I've been really shocked about that, about how I shouldn't be shocked actually because I've I've been doing prison radio for many years now, but and it's not often talked about in the media, you know, about how the, the conflict of interest, like for example that IBAC found that a property officer at the Melbourne Assessment Prison failed to disclose associations with current and former prisoners of Victorian correctional facilities and accessed restricted information for 15 individuals known to her or her then partner. What's with that? Yeah, that is, yeah, you're right. It's shocking and the Andrews government should be really shocked by the contents of this report. They have um, committed to doing a cultural review of the adult correctional system, um, partly in response to this report um, that's hopefully going to identify um, and work out what can be done better to deal with the issues that you've raised. Um, but, yeah, we think that there needs to be fundamentally less people being funnelled into the Victorian prison system. Look, thank you so much for coming onto the program, Monique. Are there any other final comments you wish to make before we finish? I would just add that there's currently a Build Home Stop Prisons campaign being led by Flat Out, which is calling on the Andrews government to stop the expansion of the Dane Phyllis Frost Women's Prison. And listeners can support that campaign by signing an open letter, which is available at homesnotprisons.com.au. Okay, well, we'll have to get flat out on on here at at some stage to to discuss that. Monique, thank you so much for for coming onto the program. And and I'm hoping... Oh, just a, a quick thing here with the link. Can you just explain to listeners how they can access this report? Yes, this report is available on the IBAC website and it's called the Special Report on Corrections. So if you Google IBAC and Special Report on Corrections, you'll be able to find the report. Thank you so much, Monique. Have a lovely night. Thank you so much for having me. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Monique Hurley, Associate Legal Director from the Human Rights Law Centre, speaking about systemic wrongdoings that have been uncovered as a result of a special report written by IBAC. And we did speak a lot about corruption. And indeed, the recommendations simply hasn't gone, haven't gone far enough. So check out that report. And we seem to be having a little bit of a technical difficulty here. Not quite sure what's going on. It's approximately 4.43 and I'm hoping that I can play a song. But I think that listeners may need to actually hear my voice instead. And I'm hoping that we can 
I can read out a few things here instead. So I'm going to be reading quickly here about an article, three medivac hunger strikers in hospital as protest begins, um, 11th day of the hunger strikers. So, yeah, the other day there was a, um, a protest in regards to the hunger strikers, three medivac hunger strikers in hospital as protest begins 11th day. And the refugees remain on hunger strike in Mita with three others of the 14 protesters in hospital as a protest enters in its 11th day. And we did do some work on the hunger strikers last week. Um, I'm going to try again to play We Have Survived by No Fixed Address.
the new Climate Action radio show will surprise you. Well, first of all, I'm not a believer in global warming. I'm not a believer in man-made global warming. Global warming. And so you'll hear voices from all around Australia and overseas that are taking all types of climate action, whether it's stopping coal and gas, whether it's building a new model of society, or whether it's just sustaining you in the grief you may feel about the climate destruction we're facing. And in that spirit, here's a poem by Rumi. Stop, take a breath, for you are drunk, and we are at the edge of the roof. This is coal. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. It's coal. It's coal. It's coal. Tune in every Monday at 5pm to hear the Climate Action Radio Show. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. states are talking big and spending up with no intention to disarm. The Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons provides a pathway out of this mess, and it's up to us to get our government on board. Tune in to ICANN's Banned School to learn more and be part of History in the Making. It's five online sessions from June to September. Check it out and enrol at icanw.org.au forward slash band school. That's icanw.org.au forward slash band school. The international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show 3CR. It's approximately 4.51 and we're nearing the end of our show. And once again, I'd like to thank um, listeners and for donating to the Doing Time show. And just wanted also just a reminder that next week we have the Beyond the Bars broadcasts from 11am each weekday, Monday 5th of July to Friday 9th of July. And... That's really important. NAIDOC week is actually coming up very soon and we the Doing Time show will be giving a special broadcasting, a special radio show in regards to NAIDOC week. Now, I just wanted to read out the dates and times for the Beyond the Bars broadcast. Monday, 5th of July, 11am to 2pm and you can listen in at 3CR, Dame Phyllis Frost Centre. 
Deer Park, Tuesday 6th of July, 11am to 2pm, Barwon Prison, Lara near Geelong. Wednesday 7th of July, 11 till 1pm, Fulham Correctional Centre near Sale, Gippsland. Wednesday the 7th of July, 1 till 3pm, Loddon Prison, Castlemaine. Thursday the 8th of July, 11 till 3pm, Marguerite Correctional Centre, Lara near Geelong. Friday the 9th of July, 11am to 1pm, Port Phillip Prison, Laverton. And for more information, just go into the, uh, the, the 3CR website, www.3cr.org.au and specifically Beyond the Bars 2021. And, yeah, see, see if you can access that link and, and have a look in more detail um, about that. And it's approximately 4.53. I'd like to thank all our guests for, for coming into the studio or, for, or even, well, in a way, they did come into the studio. <laughs> I'm not having a lot of any guests at the moment because it is still pandemic. But um, the the phone, for, for speaking on the phone today, and specifically I'd like to thank Monique Hurley from the Human Rights Law Centre and also David Glantz from the Refugee Action Collective. And we wish everybody well in regards to um, the court case. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. It's goodbye from Marissa for the Doing Time Show. We're going to be going out with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. Tune in every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time Show. And a shout out to all the prisoners inside. Bye. I'm too fat.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.